0: the truth news network the greatest country on earth in shambles Bill gates already mapping out the next pandemic the medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth how do we survive this well we the people stand up and stop taking it we win at the ballot box and we do that by getting the truth out into public ears tnn the truth news network And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman.
1: Let me just jump in and tell you this. You want to know what's out there, and it's everywhere? Political corruption. And you don't have to go digging to find it or hear about it or see it. Just open your eyes, open your ears, and just listen. It's everywhere. Good morning, everybody. Not meaning to scare you at the top of the show today, but it's factual, and it just seems like every day here at Truth News Network, we start the day, we get up early to make sure we've caught up in all the big news items from around the world overnight. And we just open whatever we're looking in, newspaper, internet, whatever, and it just screams corruption, corruption. I'm telling you, And just when you think you've got your arms around it and you understand it, they move the target. And then tomorrow morning you wake up, and it's more corruption, sometimes the same, but they just moved it from block A to block Z. It's frustrating. Yeah, I know I sound frustrated. (laughs) Many of us are, just because we don't get answers from all of us screaming and hollering and asking, tell us why, why, why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing this? What's your justification? And by the way, just to point one little bitty thing out to all of these people that represent us and government at every level, we have an election coming up. It would kind of be nice if we just could get our questions answered in a timely and honest way. Fashion, And I'm speaking to Washington, D.C., I'm speaking to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, our capital city, and I'm speaking to Shreveport, Louisiana's council and mayor in downtown Shreveport. Give us facts, explain things, and stop putting off, opening up, and letting us look for ourselves to see what's really going on. So we can ask some logical questions like, why the heck are we doing this? Wouldn't it be nice if you just woke up every morning and you didn't have to worry about anything about government? Everything was in line. The people that were supposedly representing us, they just represent us. They go to Washington, they go to our state capitals, they go downtown to our city halls, and they just work for the people and become the voice of, Of the people that voted them into office on every stinking issue. Yeah, I'm not happy. (laughs) There's one good thing. We can always say this it's Christmas. It's Christmas time. Good news there, right? Always has been, always will be. That's Willie George. You may not have heard the name. You may not remember it. He's an African-American young man, a singer, and he won one of the big um, music singing programs. It wasn't a voice. wasn't the original one, but the one that went international for a while. Anyway, he won it all, and that's a kind of country. Well, he's a country artist, even though he's black and a good guy, by the way. But that country thing... This time of year, thinking about Christmas and Jesus being born in a manger, kind of like a cowboy version of you can see being out on the prairie, minding the cattle. They go to sleep at night, and you're looking up, and the stars are bright, and you're just thinking, wow, I'm really blessed. No matter how you feel about politics on any day, for that matter, how you feel on anything and everything, you don't need to worry all the time. In fact, probably shouldn't worry at all. I'm not a shrink, but I'm telling you, in my lifetime, the things that I took ownership up like worry, fretting, things that weren't really my responsibility, and there was very little I could do about it. You know, there's two different things there. If something's wrong, and it's within your purview to do something about it and change circumstances, heck. Quit worrying and fretting about it. Just make whatever changes are necessary and move on down the road. And if you can't do that, it belongs that that requirement or that uh, spons- responsibility of making changes belong to other people, and you can't have any say-so in it, what good does it do to fret about it? If it becomes so onerous that you think, I got to get out of this, well, just get out of it. Sometimes we just have to walk away. Sometimes we think something's a good thing to get involved in, so we voluntarily do so, only to find out, whoa, I messed up on that one. Well, instead of staying in the mess, whatever it is, turn and walk away. Find something better. I can hear it now. Somebody's going to say this to a spouse. Well, Dan Newman, was, you know. On TNN Live this morning, he was saying if you were in a marriage and you had problems, just turn around and walk away. I didn't say that at all. I wasn't referencing something like that. I'm talking about daily circumstances. And I'm not minimizing the fact that living through life and circumstances that come along that are not good all the time, that those aren't real. They are real. Most of the time, we can do something or some things about them. Just do it. Just do it. Wow, we could put a whole lot of stuff in our rearview mirror that we don't have to mess with. If we just take it when we see it, know it's nothing we can deal with and get change out of it, just throw it in the trunk. How much of the crazy stuff we're living through could we live without and we just choose to stay in it. Well, I hope you're having a good week. You got today, you got tomorrow, and then a good weekend ahead. And between here and there, what we're going to do is put our heads together with you and try to make some some good stew out of the ingredients that are being thrown in our plate on our table in front of us every day, much of it coming out of Washington, D.C., much of it coming out of your local and state government's Those are important things. We need to understand everything going on that impact us directly or even indirectly so we can decide what we should do. I'm struggling with something. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm struggling with something right now today, specific to today. When I woke up this morning and I picked up uh, my iPhone and I started skimming the news, I saw some really negative writing about a close friend of mine and a friend of most of you, and you hear him on the show regularly, House Speaker Congressman Mike Johnson. You know that he's in a really tough place, Speaker of the House, and he inherited a big bucket of worms, and I'm not throwing rocks at the former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Oh, by the way, he announced yesterday he's not running for re-election out in California. So there will be probably another Democrat seat in California in 2024 unless a Republican will step up and win that race to replace former House Speaker Republican Kevin McCarthy. But the news doesn't always put the shine on circumstances, especially when those that are writing, preparing, and giving the truth, giving news information out, sometimes they're not right. And here's how I know that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard something about somebody that I know. Not just know about. You know the difference between the two. You can know somebody. That means you know what they really are like because you interact with them in many different ways. It could be business. It could be personal. It could be as a member of Congress representing you or even vice versa. But just because you think you got a handle on what's there, sometimes you find out, ah, I didn't know that about him or I didn't think that about her. Sometimes we have to reassess where we are in our thinking. Maybe Just maybe we got it wrong. I'm talking about Congressman Mike Johnson. Some news came out yesterday about some pending legislation, and apparently he as the House Speaker, went toe-to-toe in private, apparently, with Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader in the Senate, a Democrat. We've got a plethora of legislation that's still pending, That needs to be resolved and it's not just about israel and ukraine it's not just about the presidential election coming up it's about the southern border it's about ukraine it's about israel it's about our massive inflation all of those things rolled into one and you know what when you get to the end of that you're still not done We may have more on this. I'm not even going to tell you what the story's about now because I want to double check to make sure what I have been told today is true. So just put that in the back of your mind and let's just get right down to business. As you know, presidential debate number four last night and there are only four people left except President Trump, he's still in the race for now. But there are four that are out there on these debates. And I'm going to tell you, it was crazy last night. It was crazy. They went after each other. And I mean, it almost came to the point where there could have been some um, blows passed around. So instead of going back and rehashing it and playing little bitty snippets, four, five, six, eight, nine, or ten of those during the show today... I'm just going to play three minutes. This is a potpourri of some of the highlights, but it's three minutes worth. And of course, we'll talk about some of the stuff, the most obvious stuff, the most important things that were voiced last night. But here's three minutes on last night's presidential debate.
2: You seem to be saying Donald Trump is no longer mentally fit to be president. Is that what you think?
3: Look, he, he is showing. Father Time is undefeated. The idea that we're going to put someone up there that's almost 80 and there's going to be no effects from that—we all know that that's not true. We also need a president that can serve two terms. Why isn't he just answering? answer to the question. Is he so fit? Like, you, is have he fit? Your, you have your—you no, have your thing. No, is he fair? is he? Thing. No, I don't have my thing. We don't, He's the thing. Is we he we fit or Isn't he? We do not want isn't to do. Nah, nah, have a 80 years It doesn't Ron, mean that somebody could get elected. That's Ron. Ron. the people that won. No, Ron, Ron. is he All three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. I've got these three
1: guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with, you know, Voldemort, he or shall not be named. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there.
4: Ambassador Haley, do you support President Trump's plan for ideological screening? Well, I don't think
2: that you have a straight-up Muslim ban as much as you look at the countries that have terrorist activity that want to hurt Americans. You do, you can ban those people from those countries. That's the way we should look at it, is which countries are a threat to us.
3: You have more anti-Semitism in Germany than at any time since Adolf Hitler. Why? Because they imported mass numbers of people who reject their culture. Europe is committing suicide with the mass migration, and it's illegal and legal. Uh, Nikki Haley said the other day there should be no limits on on legal immigration and that corporate CEOs should set the policy on that. There needs to be limits on immigration. You called Nikki
4: Haley corrupt, accused Ron DeSantis of wearing high heels and told Ambassador Haley she should keep a closer eye on her daughter. Can you see how this has led some to conclude you are not, in fact, a unifier and to question your authenticity?
3: Megan, I think there's a time and place for everything. We need somebody in the White House who absolutely is going to be a fighter when it counts. And I did say that there were some good people on that stage in that third debate. Doug Burgum was on that stage at that time. This administration is trying to hobble Israel from being able to defend itself. They have a right to eliminate Hamas and win a total and complete victory so that they never have to deal with this again. Joe Biden will say they support Israel and then they do nothing but try to kneecap them every step of the way. We also need to look at what's the underlying problem here, Iran. Biden is doing nothing to bring Iran to account. You got to turn the screws on them. Don't let them have any oil revenue. The money they get They send to Hamas, they send to Hezbollah, and they foment jihad throughout the Middle East.
2: I dealt with Iran every day when I was at the United Nations, and they only respond to strength. You've got to punch them, you've got to punch them hard and let them know that. All of the seven or eight million illegals that have come under Biden's watch absolutely have to go back for those that have been here longer than that we've got to start seeing who is it how long have they been here have they been vetted have they paid taxes have they been working and figure out who else is out there
1: you'll all be heading to the polls to vote and that's something that donald trump will not be able to do because he will be convicted of felonies before then and his right to vote will be taken away you know You can boo about it all you like and continue to deny reality. But if we deny reality as a party, we're going to have four more years of Joe Biden. Is it just me or did they sound like a bunch of little brats that are fighting with their fellow boyfriends and girlfriends on a playground? I think we can do better than that, don't you? I think there ought to be a fundamental uh, oath that everybody that's going to get up on a national debate stage, that they will not scream and holler and talk over each other. Or what we should have is a couple of people backstage. When that starts, they just turn the mics off. But on the other hand, isn't that a bit trivial when we're talking about people that want to be president of the United States? Don't you think they should automatically go to a place in communication where it's not Na 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 boo-boo. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I heard that last night. Now, in all honesty, I did not watch but just a little bitty portion of the debate. And the little bitty portion that I watched was in that segment you just heard. The screaming and hollering and uh if they can't communicate with each other, and we're talking about people that are in government, we're in government at national level levels, international levels, except for Vivek Ramaswamy, and they should know what it takes to get people to believe in their ability, their commitment, and what they plan if they do get any one of them, get elected to be president, they're gonna go to work for us. How can you get somebody to believe you're going to do that if all you do is scream and holler with each other in a debate? Many Americans, they took more out of that debate than the content of what they heard, but they're looking at the way the messaging was going on, screaming, hollering, fussing, you're a liar, all those kinds of things that were happening, instead of the content of what was supposed to be discussed last night. Now you know why I don't listen or watch full debates I don't. That three minutes there, I didn't learn one thing. And I promise you, if I had watched or listened to the whole debate, I'd still say the same thing. Fewer candidates on stage. That should have, but it did not mean that in this fourth presidential debate, it was going to be nice, (laughs) or they were going to be nice to each other. It was all about very tense. Animated exchanges, heated responses that unfolded throughout the whole evening. And they were at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Maybe that being down south where people go toe-to-toe about everything. Maybe that was part of it. I don't know. I mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy. Also in the fray, (laughs) in the war, was New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor DeSantis, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, Those were the only ones on the stage. There's only one other person out there right now that is considered to be a contender, and he's the heavy leader based upon Republican support. That's former President Donald Trump. So for some reason, maybe his handlers got him to believe this. Ramaswamy was lauded for many relevant points and responses, but he was also booed a bunch. When he held up a paper saying Nikki equals corrupt. Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels, he said. Now, what would, in context, what would that have to do with whether or not Nikki Haley would be a good president? Just asking. Then he said, "Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that's what people need to know. And that's when he held up that note. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. That illustrates my uh, animus about all these debates. He also took a few digs at Christie, who had come to to his favor, as a matter of fact, Haley's defense. Chris Christie, let me tell you something. This is the fourth debate, he said, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a little while. (laughs) That's Christie talking to Vivek. I'll tell you what, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's ever even started to vote in a Republican primary. And while we disagree about some issues, we disagree about who should be president, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting her. And then Chris Christie, he just goes off. Let me tell you something. This is the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blue heart. That was a tweet later on. Chris, your version of foreign policy, this is Vivek again, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. So do everybody a favor, just walk yourself off the stage, enjoy a nice meal, and get the hell out of this race. Oh, and and people online, It, it was funny. It was really, really funny. Holy crap, Chris Christie is now throwing a fit to Megyn Kelly after Vivek told him to go enjoy a nice meal. But Christie got his share of audience backlash. He declared that Trump won't be able to vote on Election Day because, and you just heard him say this, he will be convicted of felonies before then. You'll all be heading to the polls to vote, and that's something that Donald Trump will not be able to do. Megan Kelly phrased her question perfectly, basically telling Chris Christie that no one likes him and he has zero chance of being the nominee. You know, social media, it gives everybody that wants to say something it gives them a chance to say it. Whether anybody cares what they think and wants to see or hear it, it's still there for everybody to use. And you know what I call people that do what you just heard me read a few of? And it gets better. It it really gets, it, in fact, it's one of those things, it'd be perfect, a perfect setting to go grab some popcorn and a Diet Pepsi or Diet Coke or whatever your adult favorite beverage is and just sit down and watch and listen and get a good laugh it was really really stupid funny so let's weigh in a little bit Nikki Haley Nikki has come up with some very controversial thoughts and ideas on our illegal alien issue now listen to this what I'm about to tell you I really didn't understand she had gone down this road before. She, when she was South Carolina governor, she repeated last night her plan to give amnesty to any working illegal migrants who sneaked in before President Joe Biden opened the borders. She was asking the December 6th Republican candidate, that would be last night, if she intended to let illegal migrants stay in the country. Here's her answer, and I'm going to quote her. First of all, what I said is all of the 7 or 8 million illegals that have come under Biden's watch absolutely have to go back. I agree with her. We have to stop the incentive of what's bringing them over here in the first place. I know from my time at the United Nations, the first thing they do when they arrive is pick up the phone and said, we came over, come on over. And that's what sends more. You have to go and deport these people so they know it can't happen again. But illegal aliens who arrived before Biden would be allowed to stay if they keep working for their employers. She then quickly changed the subject to cartels and the drug trade. Look at where fentanyl came from, she said. Haley's amnesty with test language, it echoes the poll-tested amnesty language used in the 2013 Gang of Eight amnesty. Haley's answer came in response to a question in the December 6 News Nation GOP debate. You have pledged to catch and deport all migrants who are here in this country illegally, said Elania Johnson of the Washington Free Beacon. But then you said in Londonderry, New Hampshire last month that you'll not deport those who are working and paying taxes rather than feeding off the system which is it which is it so haley has relied heavily on her pro migration investors for money here's the circle when you west when you wonder when you question follow the money haley's non-profit policy advocacy group it's called stand for america incorporated has received major donations from people that include New York hedge fund manager Paul Singer, investor Stanley Duckenmiller, and Miriam Adelson and her late husband, casino mogul Sheldon Adelson. And this is according to IRS filings. The roster of supporters who gave undisclosed donations in 2019 also includes Suzanne Yunkin, the wife of Virginia Governor Glenn Yunkin, himself, a possible presidential contender, former Pennsylvania Senate candidate and hedge fund executive David McCormick, and Vivek and Lashmi Garapali, members of a New Jersey family that have donated large amounts of money to Democrats, but gave Haley's organization a million bucks. There are some signs major donors are turning their attention to Nikki Haley. Harlan Crow. You've heard the name. He's a very wealthy real estate developer. He hosted a fundraiser for her in October with well-connected real estate and oil and gas donors that were there. Former Governor Bruce Rauner of Illinois, a top giver to DeSantis, transferred his alliance to Haley after the first debate. Last week, one of former VP Mike Pence's top donors The Arkansas poultry magnate Ron Cameron said he was going to back Nikki Haley after Pence dropped out of the race. It's all about money. You can't get elected to the highest office in the land. Do you know what it's going to take? you know what it costs? Just start right here, from start to finish, to be elected president. When you start campaigning, even before you start campaigning, but all the while you're raising campaign dollars. The minimum any one of these people can expect to spend on campaigning and win, this race is going to start with $1 billion. $1 billion. How? How can a person justify doing that? There are a lot of things in my life, when I was young especially, a lot of things that I looked at and said, man, that'd be fun to do. I'd like that. Maybe let me look into it. And then later on in my life, when I started my company, which is, by the way, 33 years old now, but when I started it and it really went big, I started thinking differently than I thought just four, five, six years before that. Money changes, people. You think about things differently. I'll give you a little quote from a very, very intellectual, smart woman, my mother. When I was young, my dad was in the construction business, and we weren't paycheck-to-paycheck middle-class people, but we were just maybe a notch or two above that. We never had a bunch of things. We never had a bunch of money. We always had what we needed. And I'm thankful to my parents for that. And when we wanted things that we couldn't afford and they explained it to us, you know, kids sometimes get nasty about stuff like that. My brother and I, we understood we didn't. Our parents worked hard. Years went on. My dad got out of the construction business and he was called into the ministry. Long story short, he, uh, he went and pastored a small church in South Louisiana. It was 20 miles from where we lived, so we didn't move to this small town. We just drove on Monday, uh, Sundays, and Wednesday services and for special events back and forth. And then later on, at the end of my middle school career, that summer between the 8th and ninth grade, ninth grade when I went to, into high school, he started a church in a little town called Franklin. Franklin's 50 miles southwest of Lafayette. Most people know Lafayette just because it's between Houston, Texas, and Baton Rouge right on I-10, going east to west or opposite of that. And we moved to Franklin. So I had no foundation of friendships or acquaintances. I knew nobody in that little town. I'm going to be a freshman in high school. You can imagine the social slap in the face that was for me. So it was a tough time, and it was a tough time for my parents financially. December 22nd, 1969, my dad left. He just couldn't handle it, couldn't take it on. And it really, everything went downhill fast. Mother had a nervous breakdown. She went into the hospital, was there for a couple of months. And my brother was already gone. He's four years older than me. He was in the Navy, and he was. this was during the Vietnam era, and he was on a ship somewhere in the southeast part of Asia. It was just me. And mom was sick, and mom was gone. And I had to pick up the pieces for me, for me, a 16-year-old kid, 15, 16 years old. So I moved back to Lafayette. Friends let me stay in a little garage apartment. Great things happened to my mom. After she got over her sickness, she was a nurse. And she got called in on a case when a very wealthy man from Lafayette, a millionaire, was in a horrible car wreck and was expected to die. He did not die, which was great. But he was in the hospital for about three months and she was half his age. They fell in love and got married. And this is, I'm sorry for the long story, but I wanted you to understand the circumstances. Mom, who had never had anything, he loved my mother and took care of my mother. And not I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about loving her and was always concerned first about her until he had a horrible stroke some years later and passed away. Mother said this about money, and we're circling back to what started this story. And I, because I was a young brat, I didn't have any money. I struggled because of what I had gone through. I didn't do anything to cause my dad to leave or divorce. It was between he and mom. But I was kind of snippy with her one time about money, Oh, you know, Papa Joe. His name was Joe Huval. They called him Papa Joe. Everybody in Lafayette today, if you ask them, Papa Joe Huval, Evangeline Made Bread, which was a big uh, regional bakery that he started when he was a young guy in that part of Louisiana. They talked about Papa Joe and still do. Like he is a hero for the common man, and he was. But he took care of my mother financially. And couple of times i got a little snippy with her about it i was in college by then you know when you go to college you know everything just look at what's happening now on our ivy league campuses up there that are supposed to be the supporters for everybody demanding from all of us that everybody's treated the same if they want to be another sex we've got to honor that and we can't say anything negative to them and that list of stuff goes on and on and on I wasn't to that degree, but I was kind of snippy and I made a, a snap at her one time when we were disagreeing on something and I mentioned money. I said, now you've got some money. Things are different for you. And she made this statement, stuck with me the rest of my life up until today. Danny, which is my legal name, Danny, money's not everything. I know that. You grew up believing that too. And she said, I still do. God bless me. Let me tell you something that I know from living on both sides of this equation. Money's not everything. But money makes most everything nicer. Wow. Was that true? Is that true today? But you know what? It's dangerous when people chase dollars and cents their entire life and I'm bringing this up in the context of all the name-calling, the amorous that we see out of these presidential candidates, when you realize that it all is determined by who can raise the most money to afford to put on the biggest campaign events and buy the most national advertising and outdo all of your opponents very seldom having anything to do with the political differences that you have with them. Somebody very famous long ago said, the love of money is the root of all evil. And boy, is that true. Now, a couple of more comments about the debate. We'll move on. It's probably going to be called, if anybody's going to label election debates... Probably the best out of the four Republican primary debates so far. Chris Christie did take a little time off from ranting about Donald Trump, who again declined to appear on the stage like he would want to be a part of that. (laughs) The topic was Ukraine this time, and Ramaswamy was widely criticized for his swings at Haley during the third debate challenged the former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, to name three provinces in the war-torn nation. Look at that blank expression, Ravi Swami said of Haley. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. Foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom, he said. Had Haley immediately responded with the name of three of those Ukrainian provinces, names she presumably does know. She was UN ambassador. She knew a lot of people in a bunch of foreign countries. If she did know and responded, it would have been an embarrassing blow to Ramaswamy. Instead, however, she took on a demure countenance as Christy rushed in to say, how smart she is. Let me say something here, Chris Christie said. His reasonable peace deal in Ukraine, he made it clear. Give them all the land that they've already stolen, promise Putin you'll never put Ukraine in Russia, and then trust Putin not to have a relationship with China? Let me tell you something. That's not a reasonable deal. So, Vivek, as Vivek does, he argued, that's not my deal. Yes, that's exactly what you said. You do this every debate. And it's more of the wha wha wah. And people are sick of it. I, for one, I it just toasts me. And that's why I don't watch them. But I don't want to leave you out there hanging, wondering what someone said, what were the highlights, what did I miss if I didn't watch it, what are the important things. And I'm not saying I know what's best, I know what's important. What I am saying is there are things that we need to watch and listen to these people to find out. They're one of them. One of these candidates, if you throw Donald Trump in the mix, somebody's going to be president. And you can bet your bippy it's not going to be Joe Biden. I want to know. I want to know what whoever is going to live in my White House, your White House, I want to know what they think, how they going to spend our money, what are their foreign policy, what are their ideals about that, what are they going to do about illegal Aliens flooding our nation continuously and being allowed to continue by elected officials that are breaking the law by allowing it to continue. What are they going to do about it? What are they going to do about the aliens that are already here? We got to find out. We have to know so we can use our intelligence, the knowledge that we've obtained when we go to the polls to vote next November. Don't you think we should do that?
0: Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the
5: office of President of the United States.
6: Sorry, let me just get
5: this. Hello? Hey, I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh Uh-huh.
6: Yes, I what? No, you are. That I will faithfully execute the office of president. <laughs> so, uh, what are you wearing? A president oh, no. of the United ah. States.
5: <laughs> oh,
6: say, can I call you back?
3: So help me God. No, so you hang up. No, you
7: hang. No, you, you hang
3: up. So help me God. You hang Congratulations.
6: up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless, join in. (laughs) You pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like... uh wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like then finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling ooh download raid shadow
0: legends play for free if you want a smart truck you want an F150 with available Pro Trailer Backup Assist If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high strength military grade aluminum alloy body. If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand,
1: is Dan Newman. Much to do, much to discuss, much to pontificate about regarding Ukraine aid and the consensus on the left and some people on the right even is give them more, give them billions more. Now, there's been a bill being crafted for some time now to do just that, to allocate some more funds, dollars and cents mostly, but some military hardware and supplies as well for Ukraine, and it's linked to a bill for Israeli aid, although the Ukraine chunk is about six times what this bill wants to give to Israel. And in light of how much money we have given Ukraine already. I think that's kind of a sketchy thing to think about. But there's some other little things that are added into that bill. I'm not going to get into that now, but it went before the Senate last night. It's already passed the House. Went before the Senate last night, and thankfully, in my opinion, Senate Republicans stopped it from being passed. And that has lightened lighted the fire of animus for anybody that wants to think that Ukraine should be a blank check and that the United States could give it to them so they could spend whatever they want to, well, you, you some of you will say, well, they're not going to be allowed to do that. Do you know we've given them blank checks? There's no accountability for the $100 billion that the United States people have already given Ukraine. What we do know, factually, is strangely during this war, there's a double handful of people in Ukraine that have instantly become wealthy. Hmm. Nobody's asking questions out loud in Washington about that. Well, there are a couple, but not many. A lot of people think it's something sinister behind the scenes going on for obvious reasons, but they're not speaking very loudly. National News Agency, I heard this last night. I thought you'd like to hear it. It's not Fox News. So they're just reporting on the fact that the Senate failed failed to pass the Ukraine aid bill. Oh, my God. We can't have that right. Listen to this news story about that very thing.
5: An emergency aid package to fund Ukraine's defenses against the Russian invasion did not pass Wednesday. It was a 49 to 51 vote in the Senate with all Republicans voting against it. GOP members have been demanding new border restrictions in exchange for their support for Ukraine funding. President Biden was asking for more than $100 billion, including about $60 billion for Ukraine. Before the vote, he said, quote, history is going to judge harshly those who turned their backs on freedom's cause. The president made an appeal to lawmakers on both sides of the aisle Wednesday.
7: Frankly, I think it's stunning that we've gotten to this point in the first place. While Congress, Republicans and Congress are willing to give Putin the greatest gift he could hope for and abandon our global leadership, <clears throat> not just Ukraine, but beyond that, we can't let Putin win. Say it again, we can't let Putin win. For more,
5: CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Nancy Cordes joins me. Uh, Nancy, what's next?
2: Well, John, up until this point, you've had this bipartisan group of senators trying to hammer out some kind of deal. Um, But tonight you've got... Republicans in the Senate saying perhaps this needs to be kicked up to the next level. Perhaps what you need is the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, to negotiate directly with the president of the United States because they say uh, that the kind of changes that they're seeking can really only be signed off on by the president himself. The president himself, however, as you noted, is, uh, is very angry about all of this. He basically accused Republicans today of taking Ukraine aid hostage uh, and using it as leverage to try to get major border security changes. And he said while he's open to some changes when it comes to border security, that uh, that this Ukraine aid package needs to be passed now because uh, funding for Ukraine from the US has all but run out and the Ukraine the president has made this promise not just to Ukraine but our allies around the world that this money is going to be coming and coming soon.
5: And as you pointed out on Tuesday night, even if Biden and McConnell could cook up some kind of deal, it's not clear the House Republicans would support it. But leaving that aside for a moment, what kinds of immigration changes are Republicans actually looking for? What's the what are the details here to the extent they exist?
2: they are looking for sweeping changes to the asylum process sweeping changes to the humanitarian parole process basically um these laws that have long been established that enable migrants who are are, are seeking to come to the united states to uh, apply uh, to to be let into the u.s and and often lead to them spending years in the u.s as they await Um, uh, an adjudication. Uh, Democrats have called what Republicans are seeking extreme. They say they're willing to go part of the way, not nearly as far as Republicans want to go. And of course, Republicans have ruled out a number of things that Democrats are seeking when it comes to, for Mm -hmm. example, uh, a path to citizenship or legalizing the dreamer population.
5: Nancy Cordes at the White House for us. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome,
1: John. Isn't it interesting to listen to that version? Obviously, two Democrats are two pro illegal immigrant access into the United States reporters. And then you listen to somebody like uh, Laura Ingram, Fox News, and Missouri U.S. Senator, Republican Josh Hawley. Let's just listen to a couple of minutes of those two.
8: The administration announced another aid package today, $175 million in arms and equipment. And they want billions more, of course, and they're trying to beg Congress for it. But if Europe is so threatened, why is Europe not poning up the money here?
9: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, this is in Europe's backyard. This is a European issue, first and foremost. And we need to be honest with them, Laura, that it's time for the Europeans to take the lead on defense of their own continent, not least because we need to look to China who's our biggest overseas threat, and we need to secure our own southern border. And that brings me to my biggest beef here, which is that we don't seem to have any money to do anything for Americans. I mean, we can't secure our border. We can't see to any of our national security imperatives, but yet we have unlimited money, apparently, according to Joe Biden, for Ukraine. It's crazy. It's exactly backwards.
8: Well, uh, I guess late today, early tonight um, in Congress, they blocked aid to Israel and Ukraine because that's (laughs) tied together over this border um, dispute, trying to tie it all together in one package. Tell us about that.
9: Well, I mean, here's the thing. We should have passed aid to Israel a long time ago. I mean, our ally Israel is, is fighting for their existence. We should have done that immediately. But the Biden administration doesn't really care about Israel aid. That's the bottom line, just like they don't really care about the border. They put those things together with Ukraine, which is their top priority, apparently, over everything else. So, Laura, the border is wide open. We had a record number of terrorists on the terrorist watch list come across the border last year. And that's just the ones that we know about. And yet, what's the administration want? More money for Ukraine. It's Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And I'm going to tell you, I, for one, am not going to vote for a dime more for Ukraine until the United States security, our border security, is actually made whole and made right.
8: Yeah, the Ukraine thing is, it's over. They know it's over. They, they're treating it as a political liability, and that they're trying to manage it. To me, it's obvious. Senator, um, your colleague, Senator Schumer, decided to drop a conservative president's name to justify his position. Watch.
0: It would be an insult to our Ukrainian friends who are fighting their lives against Russian autocracy and could go down as a major turning point where the West didn't live up to its responsibilities. Ronald Reagan would be rolling in his grave, rolling in his grave if he saw his own party let Vladimir Putin roll roll through Europe.
8: Well, Senator, I work for President Reagan, but using Reagan as a convincing argument, I must have missed the part when Ukraine was a member of NATO.
9: Yeah, and this from the party that, as I distinctly remember, was pro-Gorbachev, pro-Soviet practically for decades. I mean, they criticize Reagan constantly. I mean, this is just a joke. I mean, it's all a joke. Listen, you have Democrat senators who are saying that our southern border is just a domestic political consideration. Think about that. A domestic political consideration. As if the drugs coming across the border, Laura, aren't killing people in this country by the tens of thousands. As if the human trafficking and sex trafficking isn't totally out of control. I mean, it's outrageous. Our security is threatened right now on our border. They'd much rather spend money on Ukraine's border than our own. I say again, it is exactly backwards. It's insane.
8: Have you ever heard Senator Schumer as exercised about America's security in our southern border as he is about Ukraine or or frankly Mitch McConnell, your colleague? I've never heard them in any way as passionate as they are about Ukraine, about the United States.
9: Oh, no to to both. I mean, absolutely not. And listen, one of the reasons we're in the predicament we're in now is Republican leadership has been happy to go along with the president and shovel money to Ukraine with no strings attached, no accountability, no oversight whatsoever. We are now, our our border is wide open. We've got no understanding of how our money's been spent in Ukraine, and they're begging for more. So you bet. I mean, the congressional leadership of both parties is to blame here, along with the president. And that's why it's time to say no. It's time to make American priorities the true priority here.
8: Senator, thank you so much. Great to see you tonight.
1: Little common sense there between the pair, wouldn't you think? It boils down to this when we're talking about Ukraine. We know, we've always known, it's been common knowledge for decades, Ukraine in Europe is the most politically corrupt nation and has been for decades. All kinds of despicable, usually centered around money. Money laundering is their specialty internationally. Arms arming In other words, arms dealers go to Ukraine to get and send the money for their arms that they're selling to rogue nations around the globe. That's just one example. It's rampant in Ukraine. And look at the focus of Ukraine during the eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden being in office. And look about the money conversations and the money that flowed out of Ukraine, into pockets of American politicians' families. That kind of illustrates that. Let me just dream for a second and just get you to think about this as a possibility. Do you think there just might be a chance that the Ukrainian politicians, the graft and corrupted politicians in Ukraine that we now know sent a lot of money over here. There are a bunch of Americans. Their last names typically start with a B that have and received a lot of foreign money, not just from Ukraine, but from China, and on and on and on and on. Do you think just maybe one of those people that signed one of those checks or wire transfers that went to these highly political, uh, well-known families in the United States, they might have said, you know what? You need to keep this money flowing from the U.S. taxpayers over here. If you don't, we're going to pull the covers back and let everybody in America see what you have been getting from us. Blackmail, it's not a very far stretch from where the Biden family syndicate has been living for 50 years they have been known politically for four decades plus as the people, the family, the group that make it clear regarding politics and everything around it, their influence is for sale. And that's not me saying that. That's been well known around Washington, D.C. for decades. That's fact. But the The uh, blackmailing part of it, that is a hypothetical situation. I have no proof whatsoever that that might be going on, but it would explain a lot, wouldn't it? You know, we've got a whole family of people that refuse to come forward. They just keep saying, like you heard President Biden say yesterday when he was finishing it up and walking a speech and walking out of the room, he was actually griping about the Senate not passing the Ukraine aid bill. And the reporter asked him what he had to say when there's so much evidence and vetted information out there that he did get involved in some ways and communications were certainly one way, that way, with Hunter Biden and Jim Biden's business partners. When for years now, Joe Biden always declined I've never talked to Jim, his younger brother. I've never talked to Hunter Biden about his foreign dealings or ever integrated or had any back and forth with any of their business associates. And it is way past proof, unconverted proof, that Joe Biden was deeply involved in at least communications with those business partners And we are told, I haven't seen them yet, but we're told they now have two checks deposited in Joe Biden's personal account that were initiated from that massive energy company in China. And they still deny it. There is an environment in Washington, D.C. now That has never been called more aptly the term that when he was running for president, Donald Trump tagged to Washington, D.C. It's the swamp. And everybody on earth knows it. And many people who have found ways to use it are using it very effectively in some ways. You can get a lot of things done in Washington, D.C. simply by throwing money around, throwing your influence around. If you've got a hefty job and a lot of government responsibility, you can monetize it all. I know people that have been in politics in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and they left, and they never even made one single attempt to come back to their home state They stay up there. They become lobbyists. Lobbyists are the ones, their offices are really dramatic, huge, expensive buildings. They're all on K Street, just around the block from the U.S. Capitol. What do they do? They influence legislation that's pending for their clients, most of, who are defense contractors or other types of private or public corporations in the United States that need to get favor on pending legislation or to initiate and get some legislation they want on the floor to be discussed and approved in their favor and they're paying these lobbyists tens of millions of dollars. So what do the lobbyists do with all that money? Well, there are laws against graft and corruption among the lobbying system up there, but who crafts those laws? Congress. Who are the recipients of most of that influence and money from these lobbyists? Members of Congress. How deep does it go? I'm longing, I am longing For somebody to open that can, that can of worms, somebody that may has wanted to open that can of worms and spilled the beans about everything going on up there, but they've been afraid for their lives. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody in total abandonment, not worried about what it would mean to them on a personal level, they just said, I can't take it anymore. Here's all the facts. Here's who's selling influence in Washington. Who's paying for influence in Washington? Who's the captain of the ship? And we found out factually what is going on has been going on for generations actually and how bad it has become. No doubt in my mind at all. Washington DC is for sale. Influence is for sale. Open doors and opening doors for other people for whatever reason or reasons they have. Giving people access to the heart of Washington, D.C. and the U.S. government. It's like, ho-hum, that's an everyday thing now.
0: He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network.
5: So you guys grew
8: up together? Yeah, since third grade. <laughs> what are you looking at? I, I'm not looking at it. We're not good uh, enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, was, I don't know. What do you, big is. supermodels? No, oh, us. Supermodels.
10: Oh God, what do you model, gloves? God. What are you doing? A girl's totally into me.
5: Brad, eat a Snickers. Why?
6: Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers.
4: Stacy, relax. I'm oh, sorry.
6: You're not you when you're hungry.
5: Snickers satisfies.
0: To respond to that. New Tuesday on ABC.
1: You do your thing and you do it well. Now it's time to do it bigger.
0: It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify.
1: In the wake of all this anti-Semitism, this Israeli hatred, the venom, the vitriol that is being spewed, not just in the Middle East, but all around the world, it's all anti-Jew, anti-Israeli. I said this on the show yesterday or the day before, really what it is. They can call it a nice name, anti-Semitism and all that, but what it really is, is pure racism, hatred, anger, disgust, just because of somebody's birth, who they are, not because of anything they did. And I'm, of course, talking about what's going on between Israel and Hamas and the Muslim world, the jihadist Muslims across that part of the world as it pertains to Israel. What are we going to do to, what are we going to do about Israel. And it's even permeating in this administration, in the White House. There are a bunch of staffers in the White House that even sent a letter to Joe Biden demanding that he jump on Israel and to stop supporting Israel, but to support the Palestinian people, which includes a huge contingency of some of the Worst terrorist on the planet, Hamas. So, on our college campuses over the last month or so, the demonstrations and even the riots that have happened, not just here around the world, I said that, but specifically in our big elite universities, places like Yale and Harvard, You know what I'm talking about. Expensive, well-to-do, people very connected, some of the worst places for the pushback and the hatred and the vitriol against Israel. So, as they should, the House had a committee hearing, invited the presidents of several of these East Coast elite universities to come in to talk about what they are allowing students and faculty at these universities to do and say and write and be a part of publicly. And it's all anti-Semitic but even worse it's genocide. Most of these people that are up in arms and being the most vocal they agree with Hamas that every Jew needs to be Killed. Now, I've never seen anything like this in the United States of America. There are a lot of reasons for that. But probably the one that is the most immediate and draws the most immediate attention is these universities get billions of taxpayer dollars. You mean we pay those Ivy League universities, those places that like Yale and Harvard, we're giving them money? Taxpayer money, you can bet your bippy we are and have been for years. So Congress said, you you presidents, university presidents, you get down here. We want you to explain what's going on. So Representative Stefanik, she's a firebrand, New York. I like her a lot. She's a Republican. She got into it with one of these college presidents. I want you to hear, listen to this conversation and how it went
6: we've seen bomb threats to synagogues you know threats to attack the jewish community on campuses and other places we've had multiple arrests Um, and uh, so it is a real problem the jewish community in this country is like two and a half percent of the american public and yet they represent something close to 60% of all religiously based hate crimes. We are acutely focused on the threats to the Jewish community, which very much needs our help.
4: Campuses across America, many of them highly elite and now hotbeds for Jewish hate. Some of those leaders of those campuses had to answer for failing to fight the rise in anti-Semitism, which is dangerous to the students on campus. Lawmakers held their feet to the fire at a hearing. You saw part of it live here.
7: It demands leaders of moral clarity. This
2: intimidation, humiliation, and exclusion of Jewish students is simply unacceptable. It would not be tolerated against any other
3: minority group. You're you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You're defending it. You allow these professors to teach at your college. You create a safe haven for this type of anti-Semitic behavior.
11: A Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to It's free a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? The use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of
4: that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. You heard her there. House Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik is in focus right now. First of all, just tell us, take us into the moment when you started to ask the questions of these presidents and your first reaction hearing the answers that have gone viral. Well, Harris,
11: I've been in a number of very high profile congressional hearings over the years and the pathetic moral depravity on display by the witnesses, the three university presidents from Harvard, MIT and Penn, I've never witnessed anything like that, and I asked the question in such a way that it was an easy yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews, in fact, does violate their policies and code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment, and their answers were pathetic i was so shaken harris and what was probably the most tragic aspect of the hearing to me was there were a number of jewish students from those schools in the audience sitting Mm. behind them and to watch just the fear as they're listening to the presidents of these universities fail to answer a basic question of moral clarity it was abysmal they don't deserve the dignity of resigning they need to be fired
4: all right we have a jewish senior at upenn with this earlier let's watch together
0: it was a petri dish of the bacteria of anti-semitism and hate it's no longer just words it's actions being taken on our campus and i really hope reflecting upon her testimony yesterday liz mcgill will send out a statement and retract what she said yesterday
4: Outside of yesterday's hearing, Congresswoman, a group of students held anti-Israel events demanding that the universities hear their voices To Watch this.
11: Jewish students are not safe until Palestinian, Arab, Black, and Muslim students are also safe.
4: That sounds like a threat. Jewish students are not safe until everybody else feels safe. So what happens to Jewish students in the meantime?
11: It is a threat, Harris. And I have heard not only from Jewish alumni, but Jewish students who feel unsafe when they go to their classes, who are threatened with physical assaults, who have been physically assaulted, who take the mezuzahs down from their doorways, who fear Mm -hmm. wearing Stars of David. It's... It's absurd that this is happening in the 21st century on so-called elite college campuses. I'm a graduate of Harvard University, Mm -hmm. and this should never happen at Harvard or anywhere. And the reality, Harris is, is if you put three middle schoolers across America and ask them the same question, they would correctly answer the question and say that it's wrong. And the fact that these presidents of universities could not answer it it has rotted out our ivory towers and these intellectual institutions who do not understand moral clarity.
4: Look, the moment that stood out to me, you were interviewing Elizabeth McGill, who's the president at University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, one of those eight elite colleges, eight of some of the most expensive, high-profile learning in this country. Um, And when you ask her, does the genocide of Jews constitute harassment, her back and forth with you lit up on social media like fire. She could not answer that with a simple yes. And you seem to get emotional when you ask her whether or not it would take actual acting of genocide to get her to say, yes, those words are wrong.
11: Well, in her testimony, Harris, she actually said, it will take conduct or action. So of course I followed up and said, what do you mean it will take action? The act of committing genocide? And she couldn't even answer that. Yes, it was absurd to have that back and forth. That's why they're not fit to be in those positions. And this is not just an issue in the United States, Harris. This is a global scourge that we are seeing of the rise of anti-Semitism. We're
4: supposed to be the best, though. We are supposed to be the best. This nation is the best. So uh, we may not be able to fix the world, But we're supposed to fix what's inside our own borders. So my question to you is, are those universities getting money from the federal government? Are they getting our tax dollars? They currently are, and they need to be defunded. So what do we do to stop it?
11: I've been one of the strongest voices when it comes to defunding universities that allow anti-Semitism to promulgate on their, mm-hmm. on their campuses, and we're going to continue taking that strong stance. I also think we need to continue holding these specific institutions, uh, hold right. accountability and make sure they are fired. Congresswoman
4: Elise Stefanik, you had the mic and you dropped it yesterday. Thank you. Good to Thanks, have Harris. you in Focus.
1: You heard the back and forth between Stefanik and the president. Of Harvard. I don't think you heard Stefanik asking MIT president Dr. Sally Kornbluth at MIT does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Kornbluth, the president, replied if targeted individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? Representative Stefanik asked again. I have not heard, the president said, I have not heard calling for the genocide of Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada, Stefanik said, referring to calls for armed uprisings by Palestinians against Israeli occupiers. And Kornbluth said, I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people, Kornbluth replied, which would be investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. Stefanik asked the same yes or no question to University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill. Her response If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Stefanik repeated the question, does calling for the genocide of Jews constitute bullying or harassment? If it's directed and severe and pervasive, it is harassment or harassment, however you say the word. So the answer is yes, Stefanik followed up. It is a context-dependent decision McGill replied, it's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today? Calling for the genocide of Jews is dependent upon the context? That's not bullying or harassment? This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. McGill said, if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Conduct meeting committing the act of genocide. Speech is not harassment. I'm gonna give you one more chance for the world to hear and see your answer, Stefanik said, and repeated the question again. McGill then smirked and smiled and said, It can be harassment. So in response to a lot of public backlash over her testimony, University of Penn posted a video of doctor McGill Wednesday attempting to clarify her remarks. We all saw and heard it. I saw it live. <laughs> it, it, this is insane, this stuff that's going on. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable, she said. I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call of genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. In my view, it would be harassment or intimidation. So, the one of those presidents that just made me want to spit, I was so hacked off, was Harvard president Dr. Claudine Gay. Stefanik asked her the same question. It can be depending on the context, was Dr. Claudine Gay's response. What's the context, Stefanik says. Targeted at an individual, she replied. It is targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals, Stefanik said. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanizing them is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Gay's answer. Anti-Semitic rhetoric, when it crosses into conduct, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action, Gay said. So the answer is yes, Stefanik said, to which Gay replied, it depends on the context. So, Stefanik said, it does not depend on the context, and this is why you should resign. Now, I think it's noteworthy to point out here, Harvard President Dr. Claudine Gay, who you just heard her responses to Representative Stefanik, she's a black woman. What does that have to do with anything, Dan? She, of all people, in the position that she's in, as the president of Harvard University— She should know when this kind of stuff is wrong. I don't know her background, but I looked at her. I know she has lived through really bad circumstances regarding her skin color. What is this nation coming to? What are we turning into when we can't give logical answers to very pointed and specific questions. And these people, they were asked to come and sit before this committee. They weren't subpoenaed. This was a friendly conversation. And of course, people like these university presidents, I'm sure they're well-paid. I'm sure they have great benefits. And being presidents of these prestigious universities means they have worked their ways up through the secondary education swamp, they know how the deal goes. They know how to act. They know what to say to save your job, and you've got to feed those who write the checks and feed them what they expect. I would not use a paintbrush and sweep across any of these universities or all of them clumped together and put labels on them. I don't know them individually, but I do know a lot of people that went to Harvard. I, I have a family member that went to Yale. I have a family member that went to Duke, Duke Law School. So I understand how the secondary education process works and how the more expensive the education costs are, how the noses just seem to go up further in the air What's it going to take to bring America to the realization that we're losing our country? I mean, What's it going to take for us to understand and accept the fact that Donald Trump's swamp that he tagged with Washington, D.C., that name when he was running for president, really is a swamp, and it's not just in Washington, D.C. It has spilled over, and it's blanketing our nation where everybody wants to be allowed to just fly by the seat of their pants and do whatever it is that they want to do. And that's everywhere. That's everywhere. (laughs) I, I wish I could read... I can't even read some of the responses to this that were posted on social media. The language is too harsh. But Americans are sick of this. This makes no sense to middle Americans and lower-income Americans that are out there scratching to make a living for their family, for their health care, hoping their kids can get a good, fair, honest education going to public schools. This doesn't resonate with those people. It does to the big check writers. Unfortunately, these presidents and the presidents of other universities that are in the tank for anti-Semitism being okay. Why? Because maybe like the Harvard president, they understand that minority people are the targets. Most of the time shouldn't be, but are the targets of people that dislike them because of things and traits they have they can't change. They have Claudine Gay being one of those her entire life, I can tell you. She's pushed back. She demands to be recognized not because of her skin color but because who she is, not what she looks like. And then she refuses to stand up and say publicly before the nation that anti-Semitism is wrong and when she was asked to illustrate what she meant by actions on her campus that she had taken previously against those or to correct those who cry for the genocidal killing of every Jew on the planet and she won't answer it. There's only one term for that, elitism. That's what it is. So I told you there are some troubling things that came to light overnight. I still don't have the details yet. I've been waiting to get them. If I get them before the show's over, we'll address them. If not, I should have it for tomorrow morning's show. But it's important stuff that's happening in our government, within our government. And sadly, it's happening among conservatives in our government. Some kind of, uh, I don't know, when I heard about them, I thought they might just be uh, people reaching out, trying to start trouble, make trouble for some people that are conservatives and have a life of being conservatives. But I think there may be some meat on that bone. As we always tell you, we're investigating, we're looking into, looking for facts, finding some facts, and I'll tell you what it's all about as soon as we get verification of it being correct or being wrong. And even if it's wrong, thankfully it will be because these people will not be what they are alleged to be regarding this one manner. But if if they're truthful, that means we got to go back to the drawing board. That means we have some leaders in D.C. that aren't doing what they said they would do If we send them to DC, we see that a lot in the Democrat party. Honestly, I I can't say that. i take that back. I don't get into the campaign promises very often about people that are running for national office. If they're Democrats, because typically I'm not going to vote for somebody that supports Democrat party ideals. So I usually stop right there with conservatives. It's, it's another thing I want to make sure I get the facts. Now, you realize we've got a a short fuse on getting our government completely funded. Congressman Mike Johnson, the now Speaker of the House, he promised that he was going to get these waiting sections that are required to have a budget for the U.S. government for the next fiscal year. There are still a couple of sections that they haven't funded yet. I haven't heard anything coming out of his office, or from him for that matter, and we communicate pretty regularly, a um, couple of texts back and forth yesterday and the day before. And I haven't asked him about that. I, I don't want to. I don't want him to think that I'm jumping on him because I. He knows that he has been very vocal about getting the budget stuff finished. But the majority of Americans are now. They are coming out and aggressively saying, "We are in trouble because of." the trajectory of our debt, our federal debt, and it's unsustainable. Now, right now, at least, Republicans hold an advantage among the public about their trust on fiscal, government, dollars and cents matters. GOP's trust advantage is driven by self-confidence and independent support, but how long will that last? September 19th this year, The Treasury informed us all we've reached a historic milestone. The national debt crossed $33 trillion for the first time. On December 6th, yesterday, in a period of 78 days, our debt increased by $818 billion. 78 days. That's a daily rate of $10.5 billion billion dollars each day. So at the current rate, the next milestone, passing 34 trillion dollars. You know when that's going to happen? Probably along by the 22nd of this month. In short, we will have increased the nation's debt by a trillion dollars in 95 days. Our high spending and our fiscal mess caught the attention of two out of the three credit rating agencies, leading to downgrade our U.S. debt from its gold-plated AAA status. Happened 1st, August 1st. Credit rating agency Fitch downgraded U.S. Treasuries to AA plus from AAA. And Fitch explained why they did it. It reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, A high and growing general government debt burden, and the erosion of governance relative to double A and triple A rated peers over the last two decades that has manifested in repeated debt limit standoffs and last minute resolutions. So after Fitch did their number on August the 1st, On November 10th, Moody's downgraded its outlook for the U.S. government's AAA-rated credit to negative from stable, saying the U.S. government is at risk of dropping a notch because of high-budget deficits and Congress's inability to deal with them. Just like borrowers with low credit scores, paying a premium to the banks to finance a car or for home mortgages, our treasury now has to pay higher interest rates on our debt to compensate for the increased risk. So what does that look like in dollars and cents? The United States paid nearly $900 billion in interest during the last fiscal year. And at the current interest rates, the cost of servicing that same debt will be more than $1 trillion next year. Recently, the Wall Street Journal headlined, The Economy is Great. Nobel laureate Paul Krugman, a Biden ally, described the economy as thoroughly good. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she proclaimed the U.S. economy is not only doing well, very well, but that the nation can certainly afford to pay for two wars at the same time, Ukraine and Israel. But guess what's happening different now? Americans don't agree with them. Americans do not agree with people like Paul Krugman and Janet Yellen, Secretary-Treasurer. They think the current trajectory of our debt is simply unsustainable. In one national poll completed early this month, nearly two-thirds said the trajectory of our national debt is unsustainable. Americans of all stripes and persuasions have subscribed to this thought. That includes, by the way, 50% of Democrats, 74% of Republicans, 70% of Independents, ideologically 71% of conservatives, 65% of moderates, and 56% of liberals. So to understand what we think, Americans think, should be done to control our out-of-control debt, they ask a question in the TIP poll, one of these polls. What should the U.S. do to reduce its debt? And they offered, the the, the polling agency offered some following choices. Over one-half, 52%, want to cut spending. Roughly one in 10, 9%, think taxes should be increased. Another quarter, 25%, they want both. aren't sure. The poll allocated both of those to the two actions of increasing taxes and cutting spending, which yielded some other numbers. Over 60% of all categories favor spending cuts. Now, why would that be like the number one thing that everyday consumers would say we need to do to reduce our debt when we are getting dangerously close. We're at a precipice. Nobody can intelligently counter that we're close to really getting in trouble. Everyday Americans think 60% of us, we should start at government spending cuts. Also 50% of Democrats, 53% of liberals, they want to increase taxes However, the enthusiasm to raise taxes is relatively low among the others. So what about the Republicans economical edge? More Americans trust the Republican Party than the Democrat Party when it comes to government spending and controlling it. This 9-point advantage may sound like a lot, but it mainly stems from Republican self-confidence. That's 79% for Republicans compared to 64% of Democrats. Additionally, Republicans lead among independents by 23 to 13%. 53% of independents don't trust the Democrat Party and don't trust the Republican Party. So how about reducing taxes? Once again, more Americans have faith in the GOP than the Democrat Party, a margin of 36 to 31%. Self confidence is higher among Republicans, that's 77%, compared to 67% for Democrats. Also, more independents trust Republicans than Democrats, 23 to 18%. Interestingly, nearly 49% of independents don't trust either party. So where is this all going, Dan? Listen, it's going somewhere. And at this point, we're not sure where it's going, but we know it's going somewhere, and it's going somewhere quickly. First of all, the most important thing in our government should not be funding of Ukraine, funding of Israel, but what we should do is begin taking care of our own stuff, It is insane for anybody to be fine with continually, month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year after year, spending money that we don't have and wasting money that we do have. Case in point, we covered it yesterday. Joe Biden's famous Inflation Reduction Act, you know, We were going to put out all kinds of infrastructure. $6 billion in his act was earmarked to jumpstart making sure we have everything in place for these electric cars. That he, not the people, but he has mandated governments in states and across America, automakers. You've got to be fuel efficient away from fossil fuel by this time, by this date, by this year. And they want everybody to go electric. Well, of course, to do that, you got to have places to charge the cars, right? Don't worry about it. Joe Biden took care of it in that Inflation Reduction Act. We're selling electric cars, and people are just having a great time with them. The problem is he was putting charging stations along all the interstates, North, East, South and West. So if you travel cross country, you don't have to worry about needing fuel for your vehicle, electricity and not having it. Six billion dollars. You can do a lot of charging station stuff. The problem is not one dime of that money has been spent by Joe Biden. No charging stations. Nothing, no decision exists at any level. In a vacuum. There, it doesn't matter what the decision, the promise, the lie. Doesn't matter what it says. If nothing comes out of it, it shouldn't have even been made in the first place. Now, let me tell you, in the context of what we've just been talking about, how stupid this is. That $6 billion, it was allocated, it's earmarked, we have it in the bank And we're paying interest (laughs) on $6 billion that's just sitting somewhere in the federal account and nobody in Washington even gives a rip. You think we've got trouble? (laughs) My gosh. If we knew everything we're obligated for by our government, none of us would sleep at night.
2: Get crackin' and feel unbeatable with new Omelette Bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new Omelette Bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'.
11: At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls pick it up. It's for you. Akio mobile
3: Your juvenile mate, everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a dare iced coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta coffee kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A dare iced coffee fix will fix it.
0: Starbucks via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee.
9: What's the biggest number you can think of?
10: A trillion, billion, zillion.
9: That's pretty big. How about you?
10: Ten.
9: Okay. How about you?
10: Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one.
9: Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry.
10: What about infinity times infinity?
5: (laughs) It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network.
0: Getting tired of only spin while looking for just the news? No spin, just truth. Read and hear it every day on TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org.
1: So everybody that's got a brain is looking around and seeing that criminality is just going crazy. We have 8 million people in the United States that weren't here when Joe Biden was elected president when he took office. They weren't here. Well, that's great immigration. People want to come live here. Yeah, right. But those 8 million are here illegally. Why are we allowing people in illegally? Well, we didn't. Joe Biden did. And we have factual evidence to prove that hundreds of people, at least, could be even thousands, but we know hundreds have been verified, of People that are terrorists number among those 8 million. And of those that number there, we have no idea where they are. That should scare us all to death. So what kind of preparations are being made? Well, we have the Department of Justice. We have the FBI. We have the CIA. They're working together to find these people and make sure nothing happens, right? (laughs) You're smoking something illegal if you think that's really happening. That ain't happening. FBI Director Christopher Ray testified under oath before Senate members yesterday. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, as he always does, he dove into, listened to what Christopher Ray had to say about these very things. And also, by the way, the other big thing is the massive restrictions coming out of our government in cahoots with the social media giants to bend and impact our freedom of speech rights by violating, in many cases, the tenets of the First Amendment. That's the really big story here. I think the other story we've known about for years, we've got terrorists that are out there walking amongst us. Something's got to happen. It's bound to happen. Listen to Kennedy and Chris Ray go toe-to-toe yesterday.
7: The, the FBI cannot censor American speech. It talks about a bridging speech that our First Amendment does. At one time, I think it was during your tenure, the FBI had 80 FBI agents working with social media. Uh, encouraging social media to take down accounts and remove, quote, disinformation and election interference. Um, A district court uh, found that the FBI and other agencies asked social media platforms to remove content and to change their moderation policies in a way that violated the First Amendment. And it went up to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit limited the injunction, but here's what the Fifth Circuit said. The FBI, quote, likely coerced the platforms into moderating content and encouraged them to do so by effecting changes in their moderation policies, end quote, in violation of the First Amendment. The FBI agreed with the plaintiffs that, quote, I'm quoting the Fifth Circuit, "Federal Federal agents ran afoul of the First Amendment by coercing and significantly encouraging social media platforms to censor disfavored speech, including by threats of adverse government action, like antitrust enforcement and legal reforms. That's serious. Is the Fifth Circuit wrong?
6: Well, as you may know, uh, first off, let I me mean just say the opinions talk about a whole bunch of other f- executive agencies besides the FBI. And, and I'm not going to speak to what the other agencies did or didn't do. But well, it's you funny weren't they, the only
7: one. It but, was the White uh, House. But it just, was Homeland Security. But, 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 but your folks were there too, all 80 of them, 80 agents, well, but combing social media every day. Call on Twitter, call on Facebook, take that down. Get rid of that account. And it wasn't just on election interference. It was on COVID vaccines, it was on lockdowns.
6: So a couple things, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to clarify this. So first, on things like COVID vaccines and stuff like that, uh, the FBI had no role in telling anybody to take anything down. Uh, in fact, as you may know, the FBI was the only agency back at that time, and the only agency in the entire intelligence community to reach the the conclusion to moderate confidence that uh, the origins of the pandemic were most likely a lab leak uh, in China. We were the only agency, uh, so we most certainly were not (laughs) encouraging anybody uh, to uh, communicate differently on that. Second, even on the topics we did communicate with social media companies about, from everything I've seen, we in fact did not Instruct anybody to take uh, that information down as to the fifth circuits opinion as to the fifth circuits opinion uh, as you may also know uh, we actually hotly contest uh, a lot of the findings uh, and, and not just the legal conclusions but the actual factual findings uh, and have uh, the department has sought. Supreme Court review, asked them to vacate the injunction. The Supreme Court's not only vacated the injunction, but uh, granted cert. So I probably should leave it at that. Let me stop in a
7: second. I've gone way over. I want to ask you one last question. We had had a controversy during the election about Mr. Hunter Biden's Biden's laptop. And at that time, you had 80 agents interfacing with social media, doing whatever they were meeting, doing. the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop, on, got it on December 9, 2019. The, F, the New York Post story, which, which a lot of the social media companies at the, at the suggestion of government took down, the story came out on 10-14, 2020. Why didn't the FBI just say, hey? The, 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 the laptop's real. Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction.
6: Well, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But others were
7: in government.
6: Well, I can't – again, I can't speak to others in government. That's part of the point that I was trying to make because the – yes, But you're the
7: FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI said, time out, folks. We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real.
6: Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season. Because that's precisely some of the problems that led to my predecessors' uh, negative findings from the Inspector General. Did
7: you hear a gavel? Thank you, Senator Kennedy. Thank
1: you, Senator. (laughs) As usual, John Kennedy—he just weighs right in. And if you're sitting in front of him, I mean, you're the person that's being questioned. I can tell you honestly, these people have no idea what's coming next, and they sit on the edge of the seat. Christopher Ray, normally, he just dominates when he's in a hearing subcommittee or committee hearing either side of the aisle house senate it doesn't matter he dominates and he intimidates the people that are asking him questions john kennedy doesn't give him an inch and i'm thankfully i'm thankful that kennedy my united states senator from here in louisiana he always takes a stand during that segment, I got an immediate notice that the House of Representatives has finalized and put together uh, the written—I don't know what to call it. It's not a—it's not a bill, but a resolution that includes all of the details of the pending notification of impeachment of formal impeachment inquiry into president biden and i've got it open on my computer i just opened it i will tell you this it is this directive this whole thing and as soon as we get off the air here we're going to post that on a page of its own at truthnewsnet.org truthnewsnet.org and it will be you'll see it written there but it'll also be in PDF format that you can download for yourself, but it is formalized and it's filed. So that means it's got to be used and made official. I think it's December the 12th, five days from now would be when it has to be executed on. I'll get more details of that. We'll have it tomorrow morning, but right after the show is over, we will have that for you and you can go get it. It will be Um, It'll be a title, story title, and when you'll open it, it'll be right at the top. It says, House, how can I word this? House of Representatives formal impeachment notification against President Joe Biden. And it'll be right there. You can read it right there at that spot or you can download it or do both. Well, a lot of things up in the air, folks. Tons of things, important things still there. More than ever, two things you need to do. We all need to do. We need to reject fear. Because fear, if you have it, it's not going to change any circumstance. Nothing we can do about stuff. It is what it is. Pray for peace over fear. And secondly, folks, and this one probably the most important... Pray for the United States of America and our leaders. Our nation's in trouble. And I'm not sure we have the people in place in Washington, D.C. that can get us through this. But if we pray and trust and believe that God's going to do what we know He wants to see happen, straighten this mess out, let's pray and trust that He's going to do it. That's all we can do. You guys have a great day, a great afternoon. Enjoy this week, the latter part of the week, and get set for the weekend. And we'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. sharp. We'll see you then. Have a great day, okay?
12: Bells will be ringing, ringing the glad, glad news. Oh, what a Christmas to have the blues. My baby's gone. I have no friends to wish me greeting. Who once again. What will be singing? Silent night, Christmas carol by candlelight. Please come on for Christmas. Please come on for Christmas. If not for Christmas by New Year's night, friends and relations send salutation. Sure as the stars. Above. This is Christmas, yes, Christmas, my dear. The time of year to be with the one you love. Oh, won't you tell me you never go wrong? Christmas and New Year will find you home There'll be no the more sorrow No grief and pain Cause I'll be happy Happy Once again be happy. happy Christmas once, once again, mean, once again. Yeah.